So I quit my job in investment banking. I knew that I was better. You know, I was sitting board meetings all day and I felt like I was made for more than this. And I know this might come across as sounding arrogant. I just felt like my voice belonged in the world in some capacity, but I had no idea what to do with it. Welcome to the Out of Hours podcast, the podcast for people who are creating things they think should exist in the world. I'm Georgia Ritter, founder of outofhours.org, the community for people with side projects. Over the last year, I've been spending my time exploring how to help more people progress the ideas that they're interested in. I believe that everyone has a great idea, and working on things we care about can help us be more creative, more resilient, and more confident. But there are barriers that stop us from starting, sometimes time, money, or network, but also self-belief, not knowing where to start and wondering what other people might think. On this show, I'll explore the stories of people who have followed their curiosity, been brave, and started a side project, only to turn it into something much bigger than they ever thought possible. I'll explore the stories of nonprofits, businesses, creative projects, and social movements to understand the practical first steps they took, the doors these small ideas can open, and the magic that happens when you start taking your own ideas seriously. Today on the show, we have Aisha Tu Fatima Dozier, founder and CEO of Bossy Cosmetics, an empowering and mission-driven beauty company. But she didn't always start in beauty. In fact, Aisha Tu has a long career in finance, starting her career in the equities division of Goldman Sachs on the international desk in New York over 20 years ago and going on to work at RMB as well as Lehman Brothers, Morgan Stanley, Standard Chartered Bank, all as a senior investment banking exec, having closed over $130 billion in M&A, financing and capital market transactions. She also has a BA from Cornell, an MBA from Harvard, and was recently a fellow at the Distinguished Careers Institute at Stanford University in 2018, which is actually where Bossy Beauty all began started as a simple test project when she was at the university. It is now a full-time cosmetics business, having been featured in Mary Claire and Refinery29. We talked about how to find manufacturers, how women build confidence, her personal experience, which made her feel like women need to speak up, why beauty isn't anti-feminist, and why she thinks that you should unfollow everyone who makes you feel bad. So first things first, so I've done a load of research on your story so far um, and it's just, I think you're so fascinating and I'm so excited to hear your story because you've just, you start in such a traditional way, right? Like you've got a degree from Cornell, you've got a Stanford MBA. You've, I've got a Harvard MBA. A Harvard MBA. A Stanford uh, fellowship. You've gone through all of the sort of best Ivy League universities <laughs> in some way. And you've worked in these kind of massive finance corporations, so Goldman Sachs and Lehman Brothers. But then you've also got this other kind of kind of crazier side, which is, you know, you've lived all over the world. Like you've lived in Johannesburg, New York, Chicago, Lagos, and now Palo Alto. I just, I love that tension. And I think we'll kind of get into it between doing these kind of very traditional, um, quite serious career building activities. And then something that just feels very kind of personal and purpose-driven, which sometimes can be countervailing. Yeah. A lot of people, when they think about starting an international e-commerce brand, they would have no idea where to start. So I'd love to just hear the first kind of step on, because I, I I'm tentative about saying the first time you had the idea, because I just don't think that's how ideas work. Maybe a better question is, what was the first conversation? Or when you trace it back, what, is, what, is the, what was that drive that made you think this thing needs to exist in the world? 
So that's an interesting question. So thank you, first of all, for inviting me to the podcast. This is really exciting. I can talk about my journey all day long because I think it's a journey that people need to hear, particularly people who feel the need to start very traditional careers and then Mm. kind of have these golden handcuffs where they feel like they can't leave. So if I would say the genesis of Bossy Cosmetics, without it going all the way back to the day I was born, I would say the most actionable thing is another side project that I launched about five, six years ago called African Her Story. That project, I was working in investment banking in a very senior executive capacity. And every time I went out for meetings, client calls, board meetings, et cetera, I was always one of few women in the room. And then that coupled with media perceptions of African women was always very poor, impoverished, you know, needing help, uneducated, you know, kind of saver of the community, but definitely poor. And I just felt like, yes, there are a lot of African women who are poor and who are the leaders of their community, but there's also a growing group of African women who are incredibly well-educated, you know, have seats at various tables. And I just didn't feel like we were seen And I wanted to do something, no matter how little it was, to shed the light on some of the people that I came across that were amazing. So I started this project called African Her Story. And it was literally just sort of real women, real stories. Just women that I thought were amazing, um, either from careers in law, in finance, academia, whatever topic. But they all had to have one thing in common, which is that they had to be African. I had no idea how many people would find this interesting. It was completely on the side of my main job as an investment banker, a full-time job, Mm -hmm. you know, married with three kids, but I was really passionate. And I'm one of those people that if you, if I come up with an idea that I can't sleep at night about, I will move the world to make it happen. And so because I had the the balance of the income and full-time job, I wasn't worried at all about the success of this idea. It was actually just a pretty Mm. cool project. And I was like, okay, I'm going to self-fund this, you know, get a film crew on the side. And on the weekends, when I have time, I'll invite a bunch of women to my house and we'll have a conversation. And honestly, I thought, okay, we'll do a couple of episodes, put it out on YouTube or wherever. And, you know, maybe a few, I don't know, 50 to 100 people are going to watch this thing. Hundreds of thousands of people were watching this content. So we would have these roundtable discussions where I'd get a bunch of professional women and we'd talk about the trials and tribulations and the excitements of being a professional in Africa. And I always wanted to balance success stories with failure Mm. because I think that too many times we really undermine the importance that failure as a foundation upon which success is built. And, And the feedback from that was what ultimately many years later led to Bossy Cosmetics. I decided in the middle of that, you know what? My ideas can very actionably go beyond banking, right? And as you had said, I had started a children's play and activity center. Um, And one of my biggest frustrations with that business, even though it was wildly successful financially, was that it couldn't scale. It was a physical building. You could only put so many people in the building. And given the economics in Africa, it wasn't a scalable model. So I knew very quickly from there that whatever I wanted to do, I wanted something that could scale, where I could have millions of customers. So I quit my job in investment banking. I knew that I was better. And I know this might come across as sounding arrogant, but it's not from a place of arrogance. You know, I was sitting board meetings all day, 
my boss, who was the CEO of the bank, you know, as far as I was concerned, I was smarter than him. And I, you know, we just had a lot of issues between one another. I felt like I was made for more than this. I was made for more than looking over 100 page loan documents, all that stuff. I just felt like my voice belonged in the world in some capacity, but I had no idea what to do with it. So I quit, come to this fellowship in Palo Alto uh, at Stanford University, and then basically spent one year at the design school at Stanford. And that's really where I learned that you don't have to have a firm idea. This is the whole point of design thinking is that if you have an insight, talk to people, use this sort of empathy, develop insights, prototype, test it. It works, great, build upon that. It doesn't work, come back, rejig, get some more insights. And that sort of African her story background, that insight, I still held it years later. The most amazing women are dealing with the most challenging issues and we are not sharing it with women who are generations behind us to let us know that it is okay to not always feel great. I think so many of us will look at, you know, the Oprah Winfrey's, the Beyonce's, all these famous women and think that they just coasted through or that now they, they did all the hard work early and now that they're senior, they're confident, they're great. So many women that I knew and that I interviewed still carried the, the lack of confidence and the fear mm. and the inertia and the self-doubt and all that stuff. So that was one thing. And then the second thing I realized is that you know, a lot of people would say to me, in all of your videos, the women were incredibly well made up. Mm. And they felt that was really elitist. And I would laugh. I would say, you don't understand that they wanted to look as good as they could. And that gave them the confidence to sit in my living room and have the conversation that had nothing to do with looks. So I interviewed top lawyers, partner at a law firm, head of venture capital, you know, managing director at Accenture in the UK. And that's the insight. And then I looked around the beauty industry and I realized there was a lot of performative imagery. You know, it's kind of this united colors of Benetton. Everybody had to be every shade of different mm. complexion. We had to figure out a way to speak to young people, figure out a way to do all this stuff. But I felt it was superficial. The businesses themselves did not live what they spoke. And I wanted to, to, to see how I could combine all of those things together. I didn't see that the beauty industry was talking to women like this. That is professional, ambitious women. They were only speaking to superficial. And I was like, how do I create a brand that is actually a mission-driven women's empowerment company that masquerades as a beauty company? And that's how Bossy Cosmetics came to be. So many questions. The first one, which I think is more of a debate, so I'm kind of loath to get onto it, but I think you will have obviously come across various sort of criticisms of stuff like they literally call them lipstick feminism um you know or, or, and i think i guess it's a it's a bigger debate really about how we perform in society and how much of it is is choice and how much of it is oppression or internalized expectations or whatever sure, however you want sure. to call it but i suppose i'm just interested what you think about that criticism of women having to perform and that actually not being a choice of their own and, and they feel powerful because they're taking the role of what a man expects them to be, which is beautiful and ambitious? It's a fantastic question. So bossy is you know, generally a pejorative negative term, right? When you're saying someone is bossy, basically they're saying they're annoying, you know, they're always trying to take control, you know, it's negative. And mm -hmm. it's generally to, 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 to women, to girls. And what I wanted to do with bossy was actually to take 
a negative term and for women to reclaim it. To say that every time somebody called you when you were young, bossy, what they were identifying in you was a leadership capability, was, a le was natural leadership, was the fact that you were assertive, was mm. the fact that you had ideas and you wanted to put them across. So this is what I wanted to flip. Now to your point specifically around, you know, this feeling to dress up for men. You know, I saw an article, I can't remember where it was. It was in one of the British press. Somebody forwarded it to me and it was like, you know, top lipstick looks that men love. And somebody forwarded it to me and I was like, I don't give a shit, excuse my French, what men love yeah. when it comes to what I wear in lipstick. I care about how I want to look. You will be surprised in this pandemic how sales of beauty products have skyrocketed. Oh, have they? Yeah, absolutely. Oh. You can't believe how many pictures I get from customers. Uh, I woke up today feeling awful, this pandemic with everything that's going on, slapped on some red lipstick, put on some eyeliner and I felt better or had a Zoom call today, you know, wearing pajamas, couldn't be bothered to brush my hair, put on some lip gloss, and I, I looked like I was ready. This notion of women wearing makeup or wearing clothing or wearing shoes or style or fashion being for men is archaic and absolutely bollocks. There are some women who make these decisions. You know, I, as a feminist, I don't judge women. I really want for everybody to have the space to make their own decisions. So I want to be very careful in speaking about women who choose to wear makeup for men. That is a right as well. You know, if I know that my husband loves my hair in an afro and I want him to be happy and that's what I choose, that's my choice. I don't think that it is, it is a negative choice. It's not my business to judge another woman. But what I will tell you is there is a vast group of people who wear makeup for themselves mm -hmm. because they feel empowered by how they look. It's the same way of saying that the fashion industry shouldn't exist because women should wear beautiful clothes because they're wearing them for men or that people should wear, women should wear beautiful shoes. I mean, wear what you want. And there is a significant contingent of women who are wearing makeup because it makes them feel beautiful. And those are the women that we want to establish relationships for. So it's beauty rather than self-expression? It's both, right? Because for you, beauty could be a form of self-expression. I mean, I'll tell you, for instance, I'm wearing a lipstick today that's from our new collection. It's called Courage. We have another collection, Fierce, Unstoppable. For me, these are attributes that I think a strong woman holds. And, you know, the beauty industry is almost $600 billion in size. Mm. There are people using products and buying products. They can't all be buying them because they're trying to impress somebody else. Many times they're wearing them because that's how we want to show up in the world. And I think it's empowering to be able to do that with my clothing. I'm wearing a dress now that's made by a Nigerian designer. My Nigerian identity is incredibly important to me. So I always like to wear things when I have events or anything that are Nigerian because it kind of helps me represent my own Nigerianness. If I didn't tell you that this was Nigerian, you wouldn't know. I wore it for myself. And going back to that sort of moment, so you're at Stanford and you've suddenly kind of learned about, I guess it's sort of lean principles or iteration, principles of iteration or, you know, creating an MVP or responding yeah. to feedback. At what point did you actually start applying that to your own ideas? I can't tell you that I expected this to become a business that it is today. I, you know, I had 
scrubbed up my resume. I had gotten a coach to kind of help me with my resume. But I thought that I would do that through either a tech company or something like that, bringing my finance skills to bear. But I really wanted to do something in operations. So I had already scrubbed up my resume and put it out with a few exec search firms. So that was my focus. My focus was leave uh, Stanford, take a couple months off to play with this kind of thing, have fun mm-hmm. while I'm doing the real thing, which is to get the job. Yeah. Right? And then we'll see when we get the job, whether I have time to continue with this fun thing. So I went for a walk one day and, you know, I was just like, you know what, look, just do it. The way that I had dreamed this is not going to cost millions of dollars. You don't need a venture capitalist. It's a very little amount of money. You go online and this is the beauty of today, you know, to set up an incorporated company is boom, it's quick online. Like I just came back one day from my walk and I was like, do it. I just registered Bossy Cosmetics, you know, applied for different things, started searching, you know, various groups where basically cosmetic industry executives uh, sit. I joined Cosmetic Executive Women's. Uh, from there, I started talking to lots of people. How do you think about private label? How do you think about packaging? How do you... I just started teaching myself. I started researching. I, I was still a student at Stanford, so I had access to Euromonitor reports and so many different reports that cost thousands of dollars, but I had them for free. So I just began learning and learning. And so I started to do focus groups and talk to people. I built a survey, put it on Facebook. I mean, I just, this was, I can't exaggerate. It was a test. You know, in the design school, you do a lot of iterations, but I did a project for the Gap. I always did them for other people. So I thought, why don't we just try this out yourself? And so I was like, okay, let's go for it. And that's how this test began. So you're still at Stanford and then you start thinking about this idea. Do you think it's skill building first or of passion first? hundred percent passion first. hundred percent. I mean, I have always been a lipstick junkie. Mm-hmm. My friends and I, I mean, we have a very unhealthy relationship with lipstick. I traveled a lot for work, as, as I, I said, every airport, you know, I'm buying, you know, YSL this, Gucci this, MAC this, millions of different red lipsticks, purple this, like from every brand. I had a crew of friends. We all love lipstick, all professional women. Till today, my friends still send me pictures of, oh, I wore this today or I wore that today. And I knew how, you know, lipstick made people tingle from the inside. And instead of spending hours of time doing the research or interviewing people, I was like, just create a website. And, you know, now more than ever, the barriers to entry are literally none. Whip up a Shopify website. You do this, you do that. I mean, my, my first logo, which is not our current logo, I did a design challenge on I think it was a site called 99designs or something and I paid 400 bucks for that. Let's go into a little bit more about those really early days because that's the bit that I love because I think actually that's often the bit that people are so scared of because the idea of even getting started I think creating website people can kind of imagine they know roughly sort of the process but even just you know finding a manufacturer getting the health and safety checks I mean how did you actually go about doing it? You get on the internet the internet is your friend. I have a few friends who've worked in beauty before. So I said, where, where, where do I need to be? Who do I need to know? So I asked a lot of questions. What is topical right now? And I realized, you know, you have cruelty-free is really important. I went on Sephora's website in terms of the way they think about the up-and-coming beauty brands. I mean, when I look at my blacklist now, when I look at Formulation Labs, I just basically took Sephora's clean ingredient group and said, listen, if it's good enough for Sephora, then tiny little me, this is what I'm going to go with because my aspiration one day is to be in Sephora. And I don't want to go ahead and have to change everything about who I am just to get into Sephora. I mean, I would visit Sephora stores. I would visit, you know, all the different stores that sell makeup. I would visit CVS. I would visit Walgreens. So I would go check out their website. 
everything about them. So I just became voracious. So when you got your first, I guess you had a prototype to start. What was that like? Has it changed much since then? Or did you, had you done enough research up front that you were happy with it? I had a whole, you know, I talked to a bunch of manufacturers, got a lot of samples, a lot were just terrible. I wanted a range that someone of your complexion can wear and you'll find products you like. Someone of my complexion can wear and you'll find products you like. My poor friends. I send samples to my friends, try this out. What do you think about this? You know, you have to wear it. And a lot was just crap, crap, crap. And then we found this one really amazing group, the cruelty-free, and I made sure that we were certified because I, I learned that Leading Bunny was a global organization that did certification. And so I wanted any manufacturer that we worked with to be pre-certified by them, mm-hmm. kind of give me the comfort first. And again, like I said, I like going through these established organizations because they already have a very high threshold. So if you kind of go through that threshold, you are scaling a bunch of issues. Mm-hmm. So anybody I worked with, I would first check whether they could check that box as well. And so then I found this company in, in, in here in California um, that did very small batch sizes, right? Because I didn't, I didn't have millions of dollars to put into this. They did very small batch sizes. And I wanted to start out with lipsticks because I knew that, you know, the average woman who wears lipstick, she's not particularly religiously attached to a particular type of lipstick. So I realized it's the place where brand loyalty is the lowest, which means that my ability to potentially get close to the customer would be best there. So these were some of the things I was testing for. And when I found this manufacturer, I was like, ta-da, let's go. At this point, have yeah. you taken the, ch- taken the leap to kind of go full time on it? I had, I think by the time I had found the products, I had just graduated from my program. Still looking for the job, right? But mm. I had taken my foot off the gas of the job search because I was so focused on this thing. So I was like, okay, well, let's, let's do this for six months. How did you get your first 100 customers? Social media. So it's funny. I was, my, my parents-in-law, when we, the day we launched, I think it was their 50th wedding anniversary, we had a big dinner for them in London. And so I was, when the site went live on March 8th, 2019, International Women's Day, I was literally on a flight. And I was trying to get on the Wi-Fi of the plane and just pressing, pressing to see what was going on. And as soon as we went live, orders started coming in. You know, but we had, I think, maybe two to three months before we had gone live. We had started kind of social media promotions and talking about the brand and all that stuff. And this is probably a week after I incorporated the company. I don't think we did any promotions on Facebook or Instagram. I mean, what we did was just post, right? Mm. Just original content about, you know, pictures. We, I did a photo shoot. So you had customers literally on the day you launched? Oh, immediately we went live. I don't, I've never worked in the beauty industry. I don't know much about it. So I'm like, what, what does that oh, what does I mean, listen, look like? If you're, an, if you're a Kardashian, maybe it's millions. It wasn't millions yeah. for me, um, but it was definitely, we definitely got over 100 in the first week. I would say in the first week, maybe we had 500 orders. And these are not even friends of friends? Some are friends. Some are people I don't know. I mean, so in the first kind of couple orders you're looking through, they're people that you know, mm-hmm. and then you just start to quickly see names you've never seen before. And now I definitely don't even know the people who buy the products mm-hmm. any longer. So I try to kind of reach out to people to ask them, 
you know, how, how are you, how's it going? I, you know, last summer I was part of an accelerator at the NASDAQ. So I had to interview a bunch of customers. So I did Zoom calls like this and I only talked to people that I'd never met before. So it's very interesting to find out how did you hear about the brand? What do you think about the brand? What do you think about the product and all of that? Had you saved up enough money to kind of tide you over? I had. So one, so I had saved up enough money, but one thing that was hugely one of my colleagues at Stanford, I respect immensely. He used to be the chairman and CEO of uh, Jamba Juice, which is a, a juice chain here in the US. He called me up one day. I think I had put something on LinkedIn to say that I was working on this idea and really excited and whatever. I'm very active on LinkedIn and social media. Mm. And he called me up and he said to me, Aisha, I, I, I want to give you some money. I want to back anything you do. I think that if you take this very seriously, you can make this into a billion dollar brand. And I want to be a part of it at the early stage. Honestly, I was like, wow. I, like I said, it was, this was still kind of like a side hustle for me. It wasn't even a side hustle. That would be exaggerating. It was a test. And then you've got this man who, you know, sits on multiple boards, you know, ran a publicly traded company calling you to tell you that he believes in you and he wants to write you a check and he thinks you can create a mentality and he wants to get in early. You know, and then I had another friend who called me up and said, I want to write you a check. So I had a few people who I didn't even ask for money, you know, say, hey, I'm going to give you a little bit of money. I want to support you. And then once you take people's money, you're like, okay, wait, I have to do, I, I have to mm. be serious about this. I guess you had the kind of blessing and probably hard earned um, blessing, but the blessing of a, of a big network of people who were in the position to kind of invest money. I'm trying to think of kind of how other people who might be in a similar situation, but without the same kind of network would be able to simulate some of the things that you did. So for example, yeah. one thing that I think comes out there is just putting yourself out there. So, you know, this guy wouldn't have reached yeah. out to you unless you'd put it on LinkedIn. Were there Absolutely. any things that you think that you did that you would kind of advise people in similar situations to do? So I would say putting things out there is very important, but I would say start small. When I say people wrote me checks, they weren't massive checks, right? Mm -hmm. But they were, they were still checks. And I, I'm always very clear about the, the role that privilege has played in my, mm -hmm. current, um, in my current life, even though I didn't start my life with privilege. Mm -hmm. I think that you need to start where you're at and just start. I look at, you know, I look at other, other beauty companies that, you know, they have raised millions of dollars. And they're light years ahead of me in, in, in what they're doing. And I can spend all day whining about, oh, you know, how come I don't have that level of access to capital? But yeah. you know what? I have something and yeah. I'm starting with the something that I have. And one of the blessings of starting small the way I have is it's really allowed me to iterate very quickly and to have very personal relationships with customers. So customers feel very comfortable emailing me directly or DMing me on social media. You know, if this color didn't work for me or last summer we had these summer lip glitters that were just supposed to really sparkle on your lip. One of the customers said to me, I don't really put this stuff on my lips, but I use it on my cheeks and my eyes. And I was like, oh wow, never even thought about it that way, right? And then we started telling people you can use it on your cheeks and your eyes and people loved it that way. You know, when you're a big company, you don't always have that level of access access to people. So I think that it has been really great to start the business 18 months. Um, at least we've been in the market less than 18 months, but from when, when we incorporated it to have these very personal relationships and you wouldn't have them if you had layers and layers of management. Yeah. So I would tell people to, to just start. Do you have a team at the moment? 
I'm the team. So everybody is a consultant, everyone that works with us, an intern who's interning with us, but my product packaging designer uh, is, is a consultant based in Paris. You know, all of our supply chain is on a consultancy basis. Um, you know, social media, I do all of our social media. Uh, we have somebody who does like web development for us. So everybody, I have no full-time employees. Everybody mm -hmm. is sort of kind of borrowed and paid for, but I'm hoping that will change by the end of this year. I think we will, we definitely need to hire. We want to get into retail. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I had a, com a really good conversation yesterday uh, with a particularly big retailer and uh, they said, listen, from an infrastructure standpoint, you need to have a team. I'm interested to explore that point a little bit more around looking ahead at those people who have sort of got to, you've, they've been in the business maybe 10 years longer, because I think it's a very familiar thing that people feel, especially on their down days or in their low days, where they kind of look at often people who have been going a lot longer or who are just doing something that's similar, but you know, maybe they're doing it in a different way or whatever. I think it's very easy. It's come up quite a few times with people I've spoken to to get a bit distracted or a bit despondent around successes of other people. I've seen that you do a lot of kind of meditation and prayer and visualization. So I'd yes. love to know whether you yes. have any techniques on kind of how to stay in your own path and, and trust your own yeah. process. Absolutely. So I am human. I'm a woman of faith. I'm a born again Christian. So that has brought me so much peace, but I'm mm. still human. So I feel envy. I feel jealousy. I feel frustration all the time. I can tell you what I did. I started doing last year on Instagram. I think I followed two people. One is my mother. The other is Bossy Cosmetics. So I, from a visual standpoint, if you think about this, I do not receive any dopamine hits or any depression because I don't see what people post. The only thing I see is what I post. I want to share with my family and my friends. You know, if you look at my personal page, it's just me. It's my kids. It's, you know, it's my way to share what I'm doing with, with my community. I don't look at what anybody else does. That's one thing. On Twitter, I think I follow 74 people. And the majority of those 74 people are either civil rights activists or news magazines. So from a social media standpoint, I just block out the noise. And you have to know yourself. I am somebody, when I see a lot of imagery, it's like, oh my God, those guys are at a party. I feel so bad. Mm. Why am I at a party? Oh my God, that company just raised $10 billion to do exactly what I'm doing. I just protect my space from that. And I really use my time to stay focused. I am 100% focused on my family life. I am 100% focused on my business life. I'm 100% focused on my friends, but I can do all of that outside of social media. So everything else, I just block out. So that's one thing. If you feel that you can be triggered by a bunch of things, just cut them out. I have lost nothing since I started doing this. That works for me. The other thing is, you know, this notion of, of meditation and prayer I don't know. It's been transformational for me as a woman, as a mother, as a business leader, as a person, as in everything. I feel so much, I don't know the word, love and support from God. And so whenever I feel bad or feel scared, and by the way, I feel scared often, right? Every new collection we launch, every new thing we do, I'm scared. And so that just sort of processing the fear, praying about it, meditating, getting Zen about it, and then just releasing it to the world. In spite of the fear, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. It's either going to fly or it's going to fall, but I just have to do it. 
And that, and that's what prayer has done for me is allowed me to connect fear to action. So in terms of kind of putting yourself out there and being vulnerable, in terms of actually the domain that you're in, going from financial services to, to beauty, I was just curious how that kind of transition felt when you were just telling the world about it. Did they understand it? I generally do not care what people think <laughs> about me or what I do, except where it has to do with what affects them. Because I think that people will always have an issue with a very outspoken, strong woman. So I have developed the sort of perspective of just not caring. But I, 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 I was... It was intrigued by the number of people who thought it was a terrible idea. First of all, you know, there's a lot of derision of like, you're leaving investment banking to do lipsticks. Mm -hmm. You know, there was a lot of, you quit your high paying job to move all the way to Stanford to do this esteemed program to sell lipsticks. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there, there was a lot of that. There was a lot of, this is not possible. This can never work. It, you know, there's a million lipstick companies out there. Uh, you're not a Kardashian. You know, there was a lot of just, what is this woman doing? And in a way, that kind of stuff really gets me going. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like, all right, I, I can't wait till I send her the press release of what I do with myself. <laughs> and, there, and then there was a lot of, you know, being in Silicon Valley, you, you know, you kind of want to take the playbook of go raise a bunch of money. So I kind of fell down that hole and started to talk to investors and very quickly began to hate myself and the idea. I stopped the same way I stopped following people on social media. Mm -hmm. I stopped talking to investors because I was like, listen, I clearly am not ready. I don't want to talk. I want to show. And the things, the questions they're asking me, the doubt that they're putting is I, I don't want it. Like mm -hmm. I've already done the 20 years of investment banking and mm -hmm. I've already started off a career with doubt. And I, I just don't want people making me doubt myself and doubt what I can deliver. But it's hard. It's hard. Finance specifically, there's quite a sort of homogeneity of employees, but you rose in despite of that. You say that you've, you've kind of had it your whole life as people trying yeah. to kind of bring you down. How, yeah. how do you manage to kind of switch off? Have you found a way yeah. or is it just, it continues to be difficult? It continues to be difficult. It doesn't, it doesn't get easier because the problem is at every level you face discrimination. And, you know, there's always someone more senior to you. <laughs> there's always a board. There's always an executive team. There's always somebody to make you feel less than. So what happens is over time, you know, you build the muscle to, to be able to speak. You build the muscle to be able to identify it. I talk a lot about, you know, people defining the problem because a lot of people don't even know that their behavior is wrong, mm -hmm. right? When you're a junior, you don't have the power. You know, you kind of just have to tolerate so much. The most you can do is vote with your feet. And, you know, I had student loans to pay. I financed myself through university. I borrowed money. So I had to pay that money off. So I was not in the business of voting with my feet when I was young. I tolerated anything anybody said to me or did to me mm. uh, because I needed that check and I needed that bonus. So you get to a point where you're more senior. And I remember my old boss, he would say some pretty offensive things and I would say right back to him, that's absolutely inappropriate. Or, you know, I would pretty much vocalize his behavior to him. And so I think that's the way you do it. And at this point in my life, you know, knock on wood, one of the beautiful things about being your own boss is that you can speak to anybody about anything. You know, if I mm -hmm. have a supplier who's ultimately racist, I'm not going to be there. I'm not going to work with them. Mm -hmm. You know, when I was in 
I spent the last, last year summer when we could travel in Italy and France, visiting different labs and all that stuff. And, you know, I was very excited about one of the labs that we visited because they had a very diverse group of people on the factory floor. You know, if I were more junior, I would not be able to make that decision. And this is why, you know, one of my favorite sayings is follow the money. You know, I very much believe in the economic empowerment of, of women and mm. of black communities because the more money we have, the more power we have to affect change. That is one of the purposes of my life of running this business. I can, in my own small way, push for change. And many people may not like it, but guess what? If you don't like that I'm pushing for change, you're the problem. It is true. I think yeah. the, the interesting thing with the, with the money thing, sometimes people find it difficult to reconcile having a big mission and making loads of money. And I'm yeah. always curious how people kind of reconcile those two things. When I started Bossy, as I said, I was looking for a full-time job. And I was actually in the running to be the president and CEO of the Global Fund for Women. I ultimately didn't get the job. They picked somebody way more qualified than me. <laughs> And it's a nonprofit. And, you know, I kind of grappled with, you know, is nonprofit the way to effect real change? You know, you know, a lot of people right now in this moment are, are arguing about capital assistance. And I do think that there's a lot of inequity built into them. Mm -hmm. But I fundamentally believe that the way you begin to dismantle that inequity is to make sure more people have money. <laughs> right? I don't think that we need to all become communists. I don't think that that's the solution either. I think that we begin to move to the center. I hope is that, you know, Bossy becomes a force for good. I, as a Black African woman living in America, if I can become a leader of, you know, a you know, multi-billion dollar company, and then I have the economic ability to make change, again, not just for Black people, for women, for queers, for trans, for whomever, right? That's the power of capitalism. We are actually a women's empowerment business. We just happen to effect that through beauty products. So all of our packaging, as I told you, the names of our products, our packaging, mm -hmm. affirmations for women, everything about us is affirming. You know, hopefully we get to grow the brand so that you can see that you can be two things at once. I want to read you something that I read that you've said, um, which is that you believe girls uh -oh. and women, <laughs> girls and women are often called bossy um, when all we want to do is state our opinions, own our voice and get a seat at the table. We think that being called bossy is a way to make us quiet. I want to ask you, I mean, how do you get the courage to speak up, to really speak up? Where does the bravery come from? My own life. I will not bore you, but I, you know, I have a very interesting background. My father was a very traditional Muslim Nigerian soldier. After the war in Nigeria, the government sent him to the U.S. to get an education. Uh, he met my mom. I don't think they dated for long. They got married and came to America. I was born about a year after. I am a woman. He was deeply disappointed. Uh, before I was even two, they divorced. My father left my mother and moved back to Nigeria. So I was raised by a single mom. I, you know, all the things one does, my mother ended up remarrying, we moved back to Nigeria. Fast forward, this tells you why I then went and did the best that I could to go to all these Ivy League schools because I was trying to, you know, when my father left my mom, we were living in the projects, which you guys call council flats. We mm -hmm. were living in the projects in Cambridge. I do not come from wealth. 
and my sole goal in life was to completely change where I was going from where I came from. And I was hungry for that and I was driven for that. And I wouldn't be surprised if there was some aspect of, you know, kind of like a middle finger to my father. Mm. And, you know, my father has now passed away, but, you know, later in life, we developed a relationship that was very, very, very challenging and very fraught. You know, my father just constantly reminded me how unimpressive I was. Mm. Um, You know, I remember when I told him that I had gotten into Harvard Business School, he laughed at me. He was like, you know, your peers are getting married and having children and you're going to get a new degree. So I, I've been through a lot. And I would say that for me, one of the capstone issues was after I got married. My husband is an unbelievably wonderful man. We met in New York uh, and lived in Nigeria for the first number of years of our marriage. And I don't quite understand how it happened, but I felt this need to become someone that I wasn't. I felt this, 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 you know, in order to be a good wife, to be a mm. good daughter-in-law, I really felt that I had to perform. And I took on this massive role that was never me. It took about five, six, seven years where I woke up one day, looked in the mirror, and I hated the person I had become. And that whole process of change is where I said to myself, enough. You know, the woman, the girl who started off and the woman you are, you are disappointing her. You have got to get back on track. Mm. You have got to, you, you have a voice. You have a purpose. Mm-hmm. Your purpose is not just to be this happy, pleasant wife, mother, of children who has privilege and who Mm. is grateful for that. You have worked for everything you have. And and you must say that. You must be the light. You must be the example. You must Mm. not be obedient. The obedience is the problem. And that's that's what made me, you know, I came into that voice. I lost it for a while. And I looked in the mirror and I, you know, this comes back to my spirituality of just believing, you know, of God telling me, this is not what I've, fashioned you for. I have a plan for you that is to be of support to others. And it is not to be quiet. It is not to be ensconced in privilege. And it is not to be to be something that society thinks is right. Mm-hmm. It is to know what is right and to carry the mantle for others. And that's, that's where it comes from. That's literally where it comes from. It's amazing. It really, I think... I think, wow, like what an amazing way of really responding to that question of lipstick being superficial. It's a real demonstration of your belief in the power that you can create your own identity, whether that's sort of externally or how you're feeling about the world or whatever it is, like it's within your, it's within yourself to kind of, to build yourself into who you want to be. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. Just that idea and stepping into your light and kind of Doing the thing, as you say, doing the thing that you're, you know that you're meant to do. And I think so many people are, are afraid of doing that and afraid of kind of, yeah. put, whether it's putting their voice out there or whether it's being a bit unusual or, you know, stepping into the things that they know to be true. It's a difficult thing to do. It, it, it really is difficult. And I think it's important to, to state that it's difficult. None mm. of these things are easy. Courage is doing something in spite of fear. It's not being fearless. People always say to me, Aisha, you're so fearless. You're so fearless. I'm like, are you kidding me? Ask my husband. He sees me petrified all the time. I'm scared, but I just know I have to do things. And I don't know where this takes 
takes me. I have no idea where I'm going, but I'm mm. definitely living in my purpose. I am walking in my truth and we'll see where it goes. Do you have any big objectives for Bossy Beauty? Last summer I was in Le Bon Marché in Paris and I was, could just see my products on the shelf there. I mean, mm. I haven't had a single conversation with Le Bon mm. Marché. I'm still dreaming about it, but one day I would love it. I'd love my stuff in Selfridges. We need to get it to Vogue magazine. I don't know mm. how I'm going to get it to Vogue magazine, but I'd love to be in Vogue. That's a dream of mine. And my final dream, you know, I'm, I'm in love and obsessed with Oprah. I would love for Oprah to have us as one of her favorite things. <laughs> I'm definitely going to keep you posted. You know, I wore lipstick specially today. I never usually wear it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for the honor. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for, for finding me interesting to interview. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the Out of Hours podcast. To hear more about Out of Hours, sign up to our newsletter at outofhours.org. And if you've enjoyed the episode, please consider leaving a review. It really helps. <laughs>